girls, bad women, <laughs> or the ones who like to be naughty, might go out and play. There will be enough female justices on the Supreme Court. When they're in line, of course. Didn't men give you the kitchen? It's <laughs> a legitimate rape. Uh, the female body has ways to try to shut that whole thing down. It's like a wife and her credit card. Do you kiss your mother with that mouth? How disappointing is that question? This is Kay Eskins from New York City and and Savannah theme from Austin, Texas. It's nice to hear you guys this evening. <laughs> well, for you to hear us, I guess. Yeah, it's nice for you to hear us. <laughs> okay, so today we're going to work on uh, chapter three from Shuli's uh, Dialectic of Sex. So this is on Freudianism. Uh, t- the title of this chapter is Freudianism, Misguided Feminism. So we're going to see how they kind of interact with each other. I guess I'll start by just talking about how she frames this, where she, she talks about basically how Freud has such a big influence in America, how we have adopted so many of the words, the vocabulary uh, from his psychology. So just using the word sick to refer to people who are quote-unquote mentally unwell, uh, neurotic, id, ego, death wish, um, repressed or repression, we use that a lot, penis envy, regression. Mm-hmm. So these are all words from Freud that we've adopted and we use pretty frequently. Or she basically says that uh, Freudianism is our modern church. Um, and that there is just a reverence in America for, for Freud and his ideas. Um, but she already pushes back against this, like, okay, well, of course anyone's going to be able to fall prey to this because like who, who's functioning at their highest capacity. Um, Mm -hmm. and the last question she asks is what girl at some point did not wish to be a boy? Uh, Mm -hmm. which is very interesting, very telling also about her own, uh, ideas about, just the limitations of womanhood. Um, yeah. Do you think that? Do you think that that's real though? Like, do you actually? I mean, in your experience, do you think that every girl does at some point want to be a boy, or do you not think that's true? <laughs> I mean, I kind of feel like I—I I don't know. It's hard to say, really, because like I think maybe I thought that way, but also I'm a lot more flexible in my ideas about gender gender and, like, sex and stuff. But I do think, yeah, I think many young girls recognize, understand, question, think about, like, the role of men or boys and, like, 
the kinds of rewards they receive versus the kinds of rewards we receive. And yeah, I was very young when I was like, oh, yeah, it's definitely better to be a boy. Like, obviously, if I were to be born again, boy, all the way, every <laughs> single time, 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, in, just in terms of, like, the, like, your identity, as in, like, you identified more with boys, or just, like, knowing uh, how other like, people I, would treat I you. I was born with a penis. Like, I literally just have penis envy. Um, it's as simple as that. And, like, I definitely uh relate to that phrase specifically and I guess maybe that makes me a part of the Freudian church as she says but (laughs) but yeah I I, I don't think a lot of women feel that way though I think a lot of I think Shuli says like at what what girl at some time did not wish she were a boy and that's probably just telling about her like you said because I think that I I feel like I've encountered a lot of women that that really don't ever want to be a boy and they've never wanted to be a boy I don't know how you can't just as a thought experiment, though, question and wonder, like, okay, A, what if I had a penis and I could pee in a different way? <laughs> Not just pee, but, you know, it's, like, it's a whole different, I mean, it, it's, it, I remember I was pretty young when I realized there's not analogs between every body part of a female and a male. Like, um, someone kicked me in the knee, and I was like, they kicked me in the balls. And then <gasps> my mom was like, you don't have balls. And it's like, wait, <laughs> What? Um, so yeah, when I realized that like, it wasn't like a one-to-one correlation, there were things that I didn't have and maybe there were things they didn't have, right? Like, I don't know. So, um, (laughs) but I think that also those lines are just blurred a lot of the time. Like, I mean, there, it's very clear, like boys are supposed to act this way, girls are supposed to act this way, but it's not even clear like what a girl is or what a boy is, um, abstractly, I guess. Um. And yeah, but I do think there was this documentary I watched about young boys and how they learn in order to get affection of other boys or like to belong, Mm -hmm. the worst thing is to be seen as being like a girl. Mm. Yeah. 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 That's not still true, but, but yeah, I would like to, I would almost like to go back in my own childhood and see, and like with the knowledge I have now and then see like who actually likes their gender and like who's aware of it who who cares about it like I feel like there would still be quite a spectrum even yeah at a very young age but anyway sorry I kind of like I just wanted to do a little analysis there but or like go a little deeper on our personal side, yeah but it's definitely interesting too like rhetorically that she says that um you know because it's it just implies that these are really not natural categories at all. Uh, Because it's just like objectively, everyone, basically everyone wants to be a man. They're like, oh, men have access to the world. But then girls eventually realize they won't get to be. Um, It's kind of, Mm -hmm. seems like what her view is, but. Um, Yeah. And so, yeah. And then when she's just talking about Freud, like she's saying, okay, we, we just, for some reason, even people who, like, basically many of his ideas have been proven wrong. We still just, like, can't quite do him in. That's what she said. <laughs> um, and I think that her analysis of this is pretty correct. She says it's because, you know, sexuality really is this core problem. And he did strike the right nerve in that sense um, by pointing that out. That sexuality mm-hmm. drives drives everything we do, pretty much. Um, I don't know. What mm-hmm. do you think? Do you think that's true? Uh, I mean, he definitely, I think, 
delved into a lot of territory. Like she does talk about how what that Freudianism and radical feminism have the same roots, which is like the uptight, the like extreme uptightness of Victorian society, I guess. Right. Um, and how that kind of, I guess, like Victorian society writ large, so like Western society becoming very conservative and very. Um, I guess like and specifically like the, the family structure of that and right. like super family centered like right yeah so I think that like amidst that backdrop it's it's it was really important for Freud to like take that step and basically like dive really deep into the psychology of sexuality and I guess like psychology in general um, I think it's just such a new take that probably no one had ever thought of before. So I think it's a really important contribution. This is probably like a really vanilla take in terms of all of academia, but yeah, it's like, yeah, I think Freud's wrong a lot of stuff, but I also. Well, I meant, do you, do you think that sexuality is like what drives all of our behaviors? Oh, uh, I think it drives a good amount, but I, I wouldn't ascribe as much importance as Freud maybe does. I think it's, it's like useful as a tool to describe maybe like anywhere from 30 to 60 percent of our behavior for really putting a fine point on it. <laughs> right but, well I think it's also you can expand what counts as sexuality I guess true, yeah. like do we do we go to our jobs so we don't have like we don't have a dead-end job so that someone will love us I mean to, it, in some way do we think it makes us more attractive to have high incomes like I don't know. You know, there's, there's a lot of things operating, but yeah. Um, well, I you, definitely think he's, hmm? you mentioned before that like people always tell on themselves. So like Freud in writing about sexuality, yeah. probably dealing with a lot of his own personal. Yeah, personal definitely. Definitely. And I think he's also, yeah, reacting to his constraints. Um, and at the time, you know, he tried to explain homosexuality and he did sort of present us all as having sort of a kind of bisexuality, like uh, just in our initial early attachments, which she talks about too, that like, mm-hmm. you know, if you really take this seriously, the girl's initial attraction to the mother, I mean, that's a foundation of like homosexual uh, eroticism, I guess is how you'd say it, because that initial love object Freud purports is the basis for all future love objects. So he already in within his theory, if, if you just bring it to light and that's sort of what she says, like there's a lot that could be taken by, by feminists from Freud for feminist purposes. Um, I, but ultimately, yeah, they, they do, they're at, yeah, ultimately they're at odds, um, because of how Freudianism eventually is used but yeah, so we can talk about the common roots of uh, Freudianism and feminism, I guess. Uh, so yeah, like you said, it, like starting during the same time in response to um, the turn of the century and all these ideas about marriage and the, and the family and even like women's roles, like there's pressure being put on that. Um, so yeah, but basically like what he's diagnosing, right? He's taking women that are un- unhappy and he's saying like, okay, let's look back. And some of the things that he's talking about too, uh, it's crazy because he's basically like, oh, all these women 
were molested basically in childhood and then he's like oh no actually this is just a fantasy this is how he comes up with the oedipus complex basically that this is just a fantasy uh and it's just like the projections of women who like they wanted to fuck their dads basically <laughs> and right but um i don't know it's actually highly possible maybe probable i don't even know how common child molestation is now but yeah like it does happen definitely <laughs> Uh, and it probably definitely was happening then too. So I don't even know if like his, um, analysis is, you know, yeah. But anyway, uh, so yeah, but he basically fails to just question society itself. And that's kind of her main critique of him mm-hmm. is that he accepts the conditions that are there. And it's just like, okay, women need to accept things. And he, he does have this famous quote that's basically like, we want to take like, um, like psychosis and like basically make people just like everyday unhappy neurotics like the best you can hope for in the Freudian model is still unhappiness <laughs> it's just like accepting the conditions as they are um pretty bleak right <laughs> yeah okay whoops so um anyway so did you want to talk about the Oedipus complex then Sure, yeah. I, I Like you said before, I don't really want to explain too much about the Oedipus Complex. I'm going to assume that our listeners understand that the Oedipus Complex is um, the male would like to have sex with his mother and kill his father. <laughs> As is written in Oedipus Rex by, oof, was it Sophocles? Yeah, I think so. I'm going to have to check that one. Um, really, really rusty on my 10th grade reading. Essentially, there's a lot that's tied up in the Oedipus Complex for Julie, and essentially she expands it beyond what he originally put puts forth, which is um, that the family structure has power dynamics that create the Oedipus Complex, essentially. So, so she's saying that rather than the Oedipus Complex coming from the, the story that Freud puts forth, which is that there's this like original clan that you talked about before. So I'm just going to paraphrase what you said um, mm-hmm. that like the father has all these wives and he doesn't let any, any of his sons have sex with any of the wives. And so the boys rise up, kill the father. And that's how they found religion. That's how society starts. Um, she says, no, like we have a family structure that reinforces and the family is actually the problem. So the family reinforces this power hierarchy of father first patriarchy then the mother and then the son um and then that therefore going from that like this nuclear family issue that she that she takes issue with um and how motherly love is unconditional versus the conditional love of the father that transforms into the the sexism and problems that we have today between the sexes I guess and I'm just gonna say between just because in the in 1970 this that could be probably what she was talking about um binarism but anyway essentially what I'm trying to say is that the boy the the son who I guess in this case is Oedipus um is suffering from the conditional love of the father and then when he turns I guess about this is in the next chapter where she says the boy turns about six and realizes (laughs) that 
he can he can gain the love of the father and he moves on from the mother and that and then women girls try to do the same but are never able to gain the acceptance of their father is like the main difference in like the psycho the sexual psychology of what end up being women and men um very long run-on sentence there but i'll (laughs) pause for for you to add anything yeah no i think yeah that's that's right and like Another aspect of this, I guess, is that because we have the incest prohibition, like, in a sense, because we close that door, like, that's what makes people want it. And I think we can think about this in terms of, like, I don't know, Pornhub now, right? Like, there's, like, a whole section or whatever that's just about incest. And it's, like, that is, like, people do get off to this stuff. And is it, like, would they, I don't know, is it, like, that they naturally are interested in that or because it's prohibited? Um, and, yep. yeah, I think there is this idea in Freud, right, that, okay, you have the the natural instincts and then we repress them. But I think what she's saying is, no, we repress certain things and then that actually causes right. uh, so he's the incest that. desire. So. Right. Right. So if we didn't have the family unit, I mean, it is already kind of a creepy thing, right? Like, I mean, we think of it as a pretty normal, but it's like, you know, your parents are fucking in the next room and (laughs) you're, you're going to hear that as a kid. You might be sleeping in your little crib in the same room while it happens. Um, and that's because of the way we have the family unit, which like, you know, my people might push it like, Oh, that's natural or whatever. But of course children could grow up totally separate from adult sexual activity but they don't and most of the time the first time you encounter sex uh the the primal scene or whatever is you overhear your parents or like an awareness that your parents are fucking essentially um oh, walking on your parents having sex or you hear them having sex or you know whatever it may My be so. and that was enough to freak me out but then I guess I <laughs> wait what I guess I, like, I learned about sex, and then shortly after my, like, I asked my parents, I was like, well, you know, you must have made me, and they were like, well, yeah, of course, and I was like, well, would you still, you know, have sex, and they're like, well, yeah, of course, like, we love each other, and, and I was like, so scandalized, and I was just like, that's, that's insane. Were you like, yuck? Basically, <laughs> yeah, I guess I was like, I don't know, I must have been in, like, second grade, I, I, like, it was all kind of new to me, and so it was, like, just finding out, they're like, oh, wow, like, there's like this like jigsaw piece thing that fits together, but like we're human and like we have this like consciousness and I guess, I don't know. I don't probably didn't have all those words when I was seven, but um, (laughs) I guess it was like, it was like gross for me at first because it, it kind of felt incestuous and maybe, or maybe it was like, maybe it felt wrong. Um, And then I think because of my parents' frankness, I guess, I just got over it quickly or something they were just like what like that's that's what you should do if you love you know if you love your partner then then you know you have a healthy sexual relationship though and I was like huh I think probably like, and I was like huh <laughs> yeah I was just like well these are my parents I like nobody else is talking to me about this so they must be right <laughs> um yeah and they just like were chill about it and I guess that's kind of what like forced me to just accept that like you know, this is the the mother father relationship, and that like basically the mother. I wasn't really thinking that like the mother 
this is kind of a kind of a like tangent too, but I don't, I'm not I was I'm not sure if I was kind of ever set up to be in the position for like the mother being under underneath the father in terms of a hierarchy because they both told me or like mm-hmm. they both they both just kind of set it up as like an equivalent relationship rather than being like you know like I'll let your mother talk about this or like you know we'll tell you right. about you're older and like you know I I guess I'm just, what I'm just trying to say is that there's there's probably I probably just agree with Shuli. Is it like she the 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 incest taboo doesn't have to be doesn't have to create like a neurosis or like a fetish or like kind of like an obsession. Um because I think that like because my parents were so frank about all of this and they like presented an like an equivalent non hierarchical relationship between them that um incest never became something that I was like disgusted or like like disgusted by or like therefore into because I was disgusted by it you know does that make sense yeah because I feel like the reason why people develop like sexual obsessions or like fetishes or whatever you may call it whatever Freud might call it is probably because of taboo like you were saying yeah but I mean it still is a taboo like in terms of our entire society. Like, technically, sure. there are places, like, you have to test your blood to make sure you're not too related to someone you marry. Um, but at the same time, like, 10% of marriages worldwide are, like, two first or second cousins still. So it's like you're getting a lot of different <laughs> signals, I think. Um, That's probably true. I guess maybe it's, like, which one is the earliest and which one, like, sets your, the emotional tone first maybe is like the most impactful because like, I guess youth matters, but I don't know. That's totally just my experience. I have no like, like, I was going to say too, like for you, for instance, like that was set up as like, okay, well a relationship between one male and one female or whatever, Mm -hmm. two people versus, I don't know. What if your parent, you had found out that your parents were having sex with your neighbors. Like, right. Yeah. And that had been your first scene. Right, or yeah. even if you found that out now, but, like, that they were swingers mm-hmm. or something. Um, but, yeah. or, you know, your like your idea c- could have been that, you know, having sex with many people is still a way to show your love. You know, that right, could be right. your idea. So, it's, like, th- I think it, yeah, the formations that we have right now um, definitely press a certain kind of sexual activity. But, um, yeah, I don't know what, like, the ideal one would be, really. <laughs> um because she gets, yeah, we know we're going to get into that later. But, um, yeah, I don't think it's really ideal for, like, mothers to have sex with their sons. Like, but I think <laughs> the reason I don't think, I think that way isn't because of incest as much as, like, power dynamics. Mm-hmm. So then how does it change if parents don't raise their children and, like, they don't even know and then, like, somehow they meet each other and, like, is it fine for them to have sex if they're both adults? Like... I don't know. I don't really think incest. (laughs) Yeah. But I just think it's like important to think about like if incest itself even really has any kind of moral thing for us or cannibalism. Like if someone dies, a person dies, do you feel bad about eating their body? Um, I don't know. It's their body. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I'm saying like your mom dies. Are you going to eat her? Uh, nah. Like, probably not. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> okay. All right. Anyway, so yeah, we talked about the. Uh, did we talk about the Electric Complex? No, mm. we just. You might be better positioned. I, the only thing that I wrote down was that um, that the Electric Complex comes from the girl child wanting to access, wanting access to the world. And this is coming about at the same time as the boy is getting approval from the father. The boy child is getting approval from the father. So the girl is the same age in this story. So boy yeah. and girl, maybe both six years old. Boy's getting privileges. Girl wants those privileges. She sees the father as being of the world. The mother being of the private sphere. Father in the public sphere. There's a binary there. There's a, she senses the power difference between her mother and her father instinctively. Um, before she even really maybe has words for it. Um, and Shuli and basically so- is like, no one, it, no one is thinking, oh, this is the life I want. I want to be like, I want to be consigned to the home like the mother. Um, yeah. Which I don't think yeah. is necessarily true. Some people do want that. But yeah, she right. basically yeah. asserts like, both of them want to be out. Both want the access of the father. And it's interesting right. because um, the electric complex, okay, so the girl does start, um, with loving the mother so she has a kind of transition that the boy does not because the boy starts with loving the mother and he's only going to transition to another female figure he's still gonna you love know in the heterosexual right yeah. he's still gonna love women whereas the female starts with the love of the mother and that is her main alliance for a long time and because the mother is going to understand the kind of oppression that the girl is going to feel in the long run um they're going to have an understanding that the father cannot but uh, so the girl's right. gonna essentially be like, there's kind of a homosexual libido in the, initially, and then she's gonna try to act like uh, uh, boys because she knows that the mom even likes the little boy more. That's what she yeah. can sense, and she can sense that the father likes the the brother or like the little boy more. So she tries to act like a boy, but it never is gonna get her very far. Um, so yeah, eventually she will have to like just accept it and especially because of the male gaze essentially like she'll essentially I keep saying essentially (laughs) she'll realize at a certain point that uh she's an object for others and that she can't help but be um that she's gonna be sexualized right and there's like two ways I guess that women can go like eventually the girl will grow up to be a woman and she can have penis envy and go crazy and you know you'll go into psychotherapy with Freud and you know he's gonna tell her well you you gotta move on you gotta stop thinking about the clitoris and you gotta start having sex with a penis and start enjoying that ma'am or (laughs) slash have a baby right or she can accept it and have a child which in Freud's opinion I guess is is like a replacement of the desire yeah. of yeah. the penis envy. So it's like she she can't she can never have a penis, but she can control one by having a baby. And that's where the mother's power lies. And then the whole cycle starts again because she has a baby. Um, right. And and she won't get access to the the wider world, but she can have a child, which is its own world, but then also can raise that child like to become a man that will have access to the wider world. So Right. Yeah, and I think and, this is like the most loved person until he gets, you know, gets a new woman. The constant right, tragedy, right, right. etc. But um, what was I gonna say? The uh, Jesus, what I forget? Uh, the electric complex. 
Uh, oh yeah, so Shuli, I think we should probably talk. I just wanted to say personally that I think that a lot of this is very specific probably to Freud, but also specific to Shuli. Like her interpretation of this of this nuclear family is really it sounds like her family. So Yeah, because she was raised to be she the, the there were really strict sex roles. Yeah, she was raised she was told to make her brother's bed. Like and she was uh <laughs> I would just, and just imagine her, because knowing how fiery she is, just imagine, like, but I guess she just did it. I get, I mean, she probably she had to. Voice, but, yeah, it seems like that just really, if we're kind of critiquing this from, like, a her background type of perspective, I just wonder how much of it is her feelings toward her brother, her own brother, and watching him grow up alongside her, and the different treatments that her parents gave her versus her brother. Um, right. Well, I think that's I like a lot of women felt that way. But yeah, yeah you, you had a... Really cute for someone like her. Right. Well, I was going to say you had um, a sibling that was the same sex. So right. that's going to feel different, you know. And then how... Yeah. Then it's also interesting. It's like, what about a family of all boys? Or like, what about a family where there's... You know, I guess I guess my family's kind of like all, all girls, but... Except for my dad, but... But yeah, I just feel like <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That set the stage psychologically for for feelings. Like yeah, that. yeah, and I think like we do know that event like the the next part, which is pretty much wrapping up here, is like how Freudianism and feminism are interacting. And I think this probably had to also had to do with her personal experience because eventually she's gonna go to therapy. But yeah, so um, because both of these ideal ideologies I guess came from the same time period and uh they were both really active in America she basically argues that Freudianism comes to like subsume feminism and kind of erase the trace of feminism in the sense of these women that were unhappy with the position that they had in society were basically pushed into um mental health relationships so they, they went to psychiatrists, they went to therapists, and they were basically told, you know, if you're unhappy, it's because of something that's wrong with you, mm-hmm. um, because you have the vote, like, right, the, the myth of emancipation again. And um, the feminists really presented a threat to the establishment, but like we'd said before, Freud really didn't question the objective circumstances, so um, Freudianism kind of basically forced women when they were in these relationships to just come to accept their roles. And so a lot of times they were given medication. We already sort of talked about this too, but um, to sort of just numb them to their unhappiness. But what what wasn't proposed was, oh, we need to change the society itself. And that's kind of what her push is at the end. Mm. Um, But yeah, she, she did talk in this chapter about just like how women were studying women studied psychology like mm-hmm. in huge numbers and then uh be, they kind of dominated the social sciences but that became sort of like oh men fled to the, the hard sciences mm-hmm. um and really like these women were just indoctrinated with the same language like this Freudian Freudian language and then uh she says basically the only difference between these women um let me I think it's at the bottom of six page 69 um yeah. 
often the only difference between the modern college-educated housewife and her traditional prototype was the jargon she used in describing her marital hell. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so Julie just always does expect, too, that, like, marriage is miserable. <laughs> yeah. And, like, the, that women are just unhappy in the family, which I don't think is true of all women. But, um, yeah, so I thought I found that also interesting. For sure. It's more complicated, yeah. Um, but yeah, just the idea of like we had to adjust versus what she what Shuli's gonna propose, which is like, no, we need to replace therapy with political organization because we need to change the actual structures that are oppressing women. That's what's making them unhappy, not something inside of them, some kind of pathology. So Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably ultimately the right take but I it is very interesting that she's so kind of like against um it seems like she just have a lot has a lot of experience with Freud and a lot of uh feelings about psychology that go very deep and how she kind of sees it as like a target I guess she thinks it's like I wonder how much she in 1970 sees women flocking to the study and sees it as like a con almost or like you know a way for them to to kind of to I guess maybe feel feelings and like get a degree at the same time or it's also to to assimilate in a sense like okay these women are gonna play the game that like just like she said before with uh okay we got the right to vote but then we have to vote for men it's like Okay, yeah, but yeah, who's who's like even grading it. these women? Who's telling them yes or no? Who are they basing their ideas off of? You know? Yeah. There's no Freud, the father. Freud. The father yeah. of psychology. And it's like, all right. <laughs> um, right. And so I can, I can definitely see her critique there, for sure. But also, I feel like she may be um, kind of passing over these women... I mean, she she kind of tries to get into like how how these women that are being studied by psychoanalysts are actually intelligent, and that like I think she she almost like it's almost like she misses her own words. I feel like, or she she like oh, I see what you're saying. House, yeah, she kind of like sees these housewives as being so intelligent, but then she also writes off like women that want to study psychology and like better understand it as being like oh you're just you want to learn about the men stuff it's like well how, i mean how how are they both like how are how are these housewives well i think that the point is is about raising consciousness and that like right. it's not that women are stupid but that they're like being told false things i guess mm-hmm. um and i think that we i mean in so many ways and i think you could like you can grow up in a place where it's just not tolerated you don't see women not shaving their legs you don't see like men wearing skirts you don't see like even any kind of like any kind of femininity from men is just you know punished and like you could really have ideas that it's just natural uh you know like i think um yeah but i i and I do think there was just, like, a lack of, like, if we think about the way we have access to information now, it's, like, if you think about in the 50s or whatever, if you were trying to get information even on, I don't know, being queer, like, what official sources are you going to go to? 
So I think that in the same sense, like it was just, you know, you couldn't really find sources that were going to be even like give you positive, uh, non-racist data, for instance, like, yeah. so, right, exactly. So I think that's the problem is like, and I think it's still a problem now, even like what's, uh, like erased from history, what we learn, who we learn about, um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, anyway, so I think this was like a good, uh, this chapter was her confronting, you know, Freud at large, but also trying to show how this specific institution did try to like numb women to their revolutionary sentiments, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wonder what kind of environment she was in, like, at the, what is it, Art Institute of Chicago, the SAIC or whatever, and, like, that other school that she attended is, like, did she meet a lot of psychology girls who seemed like they were getting just MRS degrees because, oh, psychology, it's soft and fluffy and not a real science, and, like, is But that- is it not a real science but because... Is it, real- <laughs> is it not a real science? It, but the reason it's not, I think, yeah, there's, like, basically as um disciplines become like have more women they become seen as less serious so that's already like uh, a uh factor but anyway anyway um i'm like starting to what is it to be a ladies man means somewhere not to be much of a man um women in groups say my lord and master let me out of the house tonight men say my ball and chain um these are your highlights it's great (laughs) <laughs> this the conversations between Theodore Reich, who's a yeah, psychoanalyst, I guess, and yeah, and his he's like commenting. Right, on that's that's a great <laughs> section. Yeah, when it was time for her to leave, she stood for a while longer than usual before the mirror in my anteroom, putting her hair in order. I smilingly remarked, "I'm glad to see a remnant of feminine." It's like huh. this guy uh, is disgusting. Yeah. She says it reads like a joke book, Reich's uh, sexism. Yeah, well, he just comes off as so naive and, like, so ignorant. Yeah, just yeah, just blatantly sexist and not even, yeah. Right. It's like this. these, these men are studying, these women who are just, like, saying, like, like, fuck off, you're dumb. And they're like... Hmm, interesting point. I'm gonna write that down as neurosis. Uh, <laughs> okay, right. I just love that. Um, yeah, there's some funny zingers in that one. But yeah, that that's kind of the whole idea of the chapter is pretty pretty fun. So yeah, that's uh, chapter three of Shield with Firestones: The Dialectic of Sex. Next time, Kay and I will be discussing chapter four, which is uh, the myth of childhood. See you next time. Bye.